Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. I'd like to welcome everyone this morning to our continuing study in the letter to the Corinthian church. We're still in chapter 1. We're in the last point of our outline. If uh, anyone's received this via email, we're on the last point, number 3, and we'll be moving on today into other points. But I want to uh, uh, encourage you to feel the way I do about these letters, um, that they are they are there for not only the help that they they were the moment they arrived in the hands they were written to, but they have continued support and continuing help uh, through the ages. But we need to understand that there may be things within these letters that do not pertain to us personally, or even us congregationally. Um, and those things we'll point out, point out along the way. Last week, we stopped at verse 16 of the first chapter, and I want to reread verse 17 of that chapter because it's uh, there's much to be said about it. Verse 17 and I'm reading from the Young's uh, literal translation, and it's uh, really pretty, pretty good. And it says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the good news, not in wisdom of discourse, that the cross of Christ may not be made of none effect. I just don't know how much truth, meaning, and, and um, uh, um, real context that these people can get in one little sentence. <laughs> but the Apostle Paul is saying this about his own work here. Uh, he's just been talking about the fact that people were saying, I am of Paul, I am of Cephas, I am of... Uh, uh, Apollos, I am of Christ, and he, of course, takes great issue with that. We dealt with that last week, trying to point out logically that that these men can't be included in this. So, the message of Christ is not the messenger or the baptizer. They are servants of God's plan of reconciliation 
for man. Remember, the apostles were ministers of reconciliation. That was their task to their God and then their Savior, to reconcile man back to God through the gospel, through the pattern of salvation that God had set in place through his Son, through the blood of Christ, and through obedience to these things. So this reconciliation was for mankind to free them of the bondage of sin through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, when you enter other men into your decision and then there's other people involved, this is where we, we have lots and lots of problems in Christendom, as it's known, because Christendom has departed from Christ in, in most ways. Our identity, Christians' identity, is with Christ. We're not identified, we shouldn't be identified, with the name on our building only, especially when it's so hard to understand what those names mean. And I've, re, I've related the... Um, what happened to me and what happened to another man that is very similar. When you have to explain what the name on your building means, uh, you're not always that successful at it. Basically, because the person asking the question has no clue as to what the Lord's Church should be called in themselves, and that, that's the answer you need to give them. Start there and then try to minimize the damage the name on the building may have caused. The brethren of the church in Corinth and elsewhere were very fond of the apostles. Very fond of them. They, they put a lot of trust in them. They were very thankful that they brought the good news to them. They wanted to be where they were. Also, the early evangelists, kind of in the same light, because they came forth from the apostles with the exact message of the apostles. But it is to God that we must be thankful as we obey the Lord Jesus and all of his commands for his body and for the assembly, wherever we may be. It's to God we must be thankful, and we are, and to his Son. For they are worthy indeed of our adoration. I think it's Revelation chapter 5 where the song is sung about the worthiness of the Lamb. The worth, and that's, you know, it's hard to forget when you read something like that, that the heavenly host in heaven singing such a, such a song concerning the Lamb of God, his Son, and what he has done for mankind. You know, I want to note that Paul said here, Christ did not send me to baptize. Uh, th this statement in no way impugns baptism. Uh, it just clears, it cl it's supposed to be clearing the air. He's trying to help them along. Uh, without them becoming so, uh, going on so many little uh, bunny trails in their, in, in their assembly. Um, because we know baptism 
is a necessity within the pattern of salvation. It's where we contact the blood of Christ as we do figuratively in our communion service. The death of Christ, the burial, and we remember his death around this table. So it's in no way minimizes baptism or or it's in any way optional. That that's that's not the point. That's not what he was saying here. They knew that. No, what Paul is refuting here is the attempt to make some sort of a formula out of the act of baptism or, or the act of confessing or speaking of salvation and and uh, uh, and somehow bringing the names of other men into this pattern, uh, which is an affront to God. So um, any of our response to the gospel message uh, is not our response to men, but our response to God. Our response to God, not to men. If it's to men... When that man is no longer around, how are you going to feel about it? If it's to men, then if that man makes a, a mistake or errors in some way, how are you going to feel about that? Our response is to God and to him only. We're very thankful for men and for women of illustrating and, and helping us on that road, as Brother David called this morning, his lesson, the way to get on that road, get up on our feet, and, and head in the right direction. We need a lot of help a lot of times to do so. That's not what is going on here. We're invoking the name of men, as Paul was saying, and that needs to stop. We are all saved through the blood of Christ, out of the mercy of our Father or the Grace of the Father, as some people call it, which is God's plan for redemption. This was this was uh, this was the thought in heaven. It didn't originate here on earth. It's not man's best thinking. It's God's will. So all of this concerning the the pattern of salvation is our own response by our own uh, volition, from the heart, heartfelt, and I don't know what heartfelt means to you, but, you know, the New Testament talks a lot about from the heart. You know, we, we, have, to, we have to think about what we hear or read from God's Word. And the spark of life comes there, I think, but when it settles in our heart and becomes who we are, then we respond in a way that we're moved to. I guess that's being converted, isn't it? Conversion. Conversion is on the road to salvation. Now, Let's continue in our text. We're looking at actually the rest of the chapter, 18 through 31, is where we're going to be the next few weeks. And um, 
verse 18 and 19. Let's look at those. Because <clears throat> remember, this is just a continuation of the statement in verse 17. He's adding to his thinking here um, concerning the, the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ being the, the, uh, the main topic of the, of the apostle speaking, of the apostle preaching. Verse 18, for the word of the cross to those indeed perishing is foolishness. And to us, those being saved, it is the power of God. For it hath been written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligent intelligence of the intelligent I will bring to naught. Well, of course, this is God's that's a word from the Old Testament. So there's a real conflict of man's wisdom versus God's wisdom in verses 18 and 19. The cross of Christ is the power of God. It's how God's power was brought forth through the world of men through the spectacle of the cross. And just seeing it, if you knew it had just walked into Jerusalem that day and walked by and saw the crucifixion taking place, you wouldn't have had a lot of understanding outside of the fact that you saw the Roman soldiers and you saw the men being crucified, but what did it mean? But you see, we know what it means because we know what the Old Testament from the very first word says about man and God and all the way through. What was happening here was a fulfillment of God's promise for a Redeemer. The cross of Christ is the power of God. Romans 1.16. Alex is, I thought he almost had it up there for me. <laughs> Romans 1.16. What's Paul say about office? Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the good news of the Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who is believing, both to the Jew first and to the Greek. And on it goes in, in that formula. In that, uh, in that wording, this is the power of God. And that's why the cross of Christ was, uh, isn't that what Paul said? I come preaching the cross of Christ and, um, uh, and, 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 the, and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's what the apostles preached. That's the gospel. But to understand what the cross meant, many people had to have some background. The Jews already had this background in the, in the scriptures, as they called them. They were waiting for the Redeemer. And the apostles were, as they preached to the Jews, they went to the scriptures that pointed, and, and they became convinced that this Jesus of Nazareth was indeed God's Messiah and fulfilled the, the uh, prophecy of the Old Testament perfectly. That leaves us with 
two classes of people. And, you know, this is a world, this is your, uh, what do they call it, your world, your uh, big picture, or how you look at the world. Well, believe me, uh, you're going to find a lot of different views of the world. Just ask people. They, they have different, different views. But, you know, I think, well, I know that God, when he looks at men, he sees two types of men, two types of people. He sees those that are perishing and those that are being saved. You know, that's a... That's so simple that it's it's hard to believe that it's hardly ever spoken of. What's the word perishing mean? It means destroy. It also means lost. Uh, but in what sense is lost? I think in a lot of ways, those perishing have lost an opportunity to be saved, but causing them to be perishing. Being saved, of course is to have that never-ending life in heaven. We talked a lot about life in, in, in other classes here. But you know, when you tell somebody about having life in Christ, they're standing there. They have life. They have a lot of life. A lot of them are very powerful in their life. You're telling them, you're offering them life when they have life? See, we need to make sure that folks know what the life really is here. What are we talking about? Life never ending? Well, I think that ought to, that's kind of a clue because we know this life doesn't go on for a long, long time. It seems like a long time many times, but, it, but it, there will come an end when when the old system just is done, you know, that's going to happen. And then what? Death. But, you know, as they say, the old song, is that all there is? Well, that's not all there is. A lot of folks would like to think that's all there is because of their fear of the other other side, the unknown, if you will. Life never-ending is the life that Jesus promises. He is the truth, he is the way, and he is the life. The life is different from our life, just being alive, if you will. The life is what I'm going for. I, I want to share in the life in the presence of God, in the splendor of heaven, how, whatever that may be. Um, you know, because there again, I just don't think we can, well, the scripture says we can't. We can't imagine the splendor of that existence. So, bringing then two classes of people on earth, that's what we really have. So what we, what we need to do and what we need to encourage other folks to do is to see people the way that God sees people. Men in this world have made people to become many, many more than two classes of people. That's for sure. Uh, we've got 
folks out there that are separating people in so many different classes that I don't think you could get them in a book. You know, we're separated by color. Sounds silly when you look at it that way, doesn't it? We're separated by culture, by size, by education, by language. Are we rich, poor, young or old? All these are separations. You know, we have uh, this club and that club, and, and they're separate from the other club, you know. It just seems like we're trying to be more and more separate uh, as the days go on. And it seems like God is trying to make everyone put these separations aside and come more to, towards him wasn't that the goal of the gospel? To make two people one? The Jews and the Gentiles? That's the opposite of separation. This is God's, God's way. Rarely do men look out and see people of this world as God does. Are they perishing? Or are they safe in Christ? And if everyone, of course, had this vision we would live in a much, much better society. Uh, I can't even imagine what kind of society that might be. But what makes the big difference in how we look at people, how we look at the worldview that we have? What makes the difference? Well, I think, according to the Apostle Paul, the preaching of the, cro the cross of Christ the will of God for mankind for reconciliation, that makes the difference in the life of men and women in this world. Preaching the cross of Christ has the effect of life and life without end. Not only is the physical life better, but having a life that is never to end in the presence of God that the Old Testament speaks about much, uh, many, many times. Um, the illustration, you know, the kingdom of God is a place of life. There's no death. There is, there's no negative things. There's even no tears. So life is, life is being there is life in itself. Won't need a sun to shine on us because God is there, right? God will be with his people. He will be their father because he is. But not every person considers God their father. That's because they don't know him. If they knew him, they would be very content with him being their father and they would want to make sure that relationship is is close, as close as we can make it. And we do that through the word of God. The word of the, cry, of the cross can still be heard. It's just as, the message is just as clear, it's just as powerful as the very moment it was occurring. 
You know, there's a lot of confusion at the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth. A lot of sorrow from his family and his friends and his brethren. But it was soon turned to joy because of the resurrection, of course. But that event was the event that the apostles never stopped talking about the rest of their lives. Shouldn't we be talking about the same thing? Shouldn't we be thinking about the same thing? You know, this, is, this was God's great gift to man. I keep using the word because we've misused the word grace so often, uh, uh, making it, turning it to where we're an unworthy worm somewhere, which is not anywhere near what it means. How important is man to God? He sent his son from heaven to die in our place. Now, I think the worm that people are supposed to be is a really a bad concept. I never could see it even before I knew there was a virus in the church called Calvinism. But it's alive and well. And that, that idea of us being a worm only helps the men that would, would like to put their, their foot on our neck. That works there, but it doesn't have anything to do with God's looking at us. No, God sees us as perishing or in his son. That's what he sees. What God did for man through his son, that's, that was God's part. I mean, hundreds of years, uh, millennial of God's working with men to prepare him, to, to educate them, to bring them to an understanding that it was sin that was, had them in bondage, sin, their rebellion, their drifting away from him, their lack of fidelity. As a Christian, our fidelity is, uh, is not only, it's supposed to, it should be unquestioned, it should be unshakable because we are bought by the blood of Christ. So we are twice his, as the old gospel preachers used to say. God's done his part. But Christendom says, what have you done for me lately? God's done his part. If you don't believe it, read his book. He's done his part. But man now has requirements of his own, men and women. I think, first, if we need to respect the great gift of God's reconciliation. And if we do that, if we learn about God and, and, and the position of man, who man is, many years ago, uh, Brother David did studies here uh, about the nature of man the nature of God, the nature of Christ, um, the nature of things that we find in the Scripture, what it truly is. And when we find out who we are as men in the eyes of God, I think we are 
wholeheartedly in trying to be obedient to every will that God to to God's will in any way that He would fashion it for it. We call it the pattern. I think it's um, um, Ephesians that talks about the pattern of salvation. You see, there's a pattern. God is a God of order. He does things in an orderly way, not random. Not confusion, order. And there's an order involved in salvation. There's an order involved in becoming a child of God. The apostles were sent out to create that order and make that order uh, useful in all of the assemblies. Without God's mercy and grace through his son Jesus Christ, there would be no salvation for mankind. We would still be looking for a way instead of having a way. And without our response to the cross of Christ and God's pattern of salvation, as was preached by the apostles and the loyal evangelists since then, and our obedience to it, there would be no hope for us either. So both of these things need to be understood. And they match up perfectly with the idea of perishing or being saved. The apostle wasn't confused. He understood the idea of perishing. And it broke his heart, as it should us. He understood the idea of being saved. He understood what it, what it took and the price that was paid. Those that have no hope are being destroyed. They're perishing. They're lost souls. I want you to consider that. And we're going to leave off here today. Um, we'll be looking at verse 20. Next time, we'll have a new uh, uh, pattern outlined on the screen for you uh, next week. Much of this fits together very closely as we come into it. But you see how important every word of the apostle is and how important every word was to them. We respect that. If we appreciate that, it will become to us a real guide. It will become to us a real help in making our own decisions and helping those make decisions for Christ, for that is the goal. Those would be my comments today. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.